Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi there, welcome to session 95 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Fall has officially come to Philadelphia. It has brought with it little bit of cold, quite a bit of rain, and uh, I have a little bit of a sore throat, but I am surviving with lots of honey and lemon water and tea and all of those things. Today's podcast conversation, um, I'm calling it Using Our Strengths to Address Our Weaknesses as Entrepreneurs. So it was brought on by this idea, right, that many of us as small business owners, we know what we have to do in order to get things done right? But why is it so hard sometimes for us to follow through with those things that we know we need to do? So we're talking about this idea of like being consistent in whether it's in marketing or reaching out to colleagues or setting up that flyer that you know you need to get set up. My guest today is my friend Beth Lewandi, who is a licensed professional counselor out in Cincinnati, Ohio. Beth works with midlifers, and she's also the creator and the host of the Midlife Love Bites podcast. And Beth and I are talking about this topic of how do we use our strengths to address our weaknesses. So more specifically, how did Beth figure out what her strengths and weaknesses were? How did she worked through some of the perfectionism that she's had to deal with as a small business owner. And then we're talking about kind of this honest conversation. You know, for me, I know that for many of us, right, including me, there's this underlying sort of control factor when it comes to being a business owner. We want to try to do everything because we kind of believe that we're the only ones that are capable of doing it as well as that nobody else can do it as well as we can. And so we're talking about that, how to sort of work through that and uh, where that kind of comes from and how that can really stifle us as business owners, especially if we want our businesses to grow. And we're wrapping up with some productivity tips, three biggest things that Beth does to improve her productivity. So this is just a really, think a really helpful and a really honest conversation. So we'll get right to it. Here is my conversation with Beth Lewandi from BethLewandi.com. Hi, Beth. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Great to be here. Great to be here as well. We were saying this before we started, but it's always uh, these podcast conversations are a lot easier uh, with friends. So I'm uh, right. grateful for our friendship. So Me too. We are talking about 
we had communicated and we're talking about this perspective of using our strengths to address our weaknesses, especially as entrepreneurs and as small business owners. And I just thought, what a cool way of looking at things. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited. This is kind of formed in the over the summer for me. Yeah, I definitely want to hear about that. So I think my first question was like, and this could be completely abstract, but how did you actually figure out what your strengths were and where and what your weaknesses were? <laughs> what a big question. We, um, go, we go bigger, go home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think this has been an, a long ongoing process for me. And it's something that I've always been kind of interested in. I think paying attention to how other people are made or, you know, I mean, like we're in the business of psychology, right? Understanding how human beings are made includes understanding how I'm made, right? Right. So I've always been intrigued with personality inventories and I've used different ones. We had to use particular ones at work. And then maybe some of your listeners have heard of the DISC profile, which was something that was used at work. And then we are definitely all familiar with MBTI. I ran into the Enneagram personality typology about four and a half or five years ago. And that is, I love it because it's really complex, layered, dynamic, and lots of really good research has been done here in the U.S. using it since about 1973. That's interesting. I've heard of that one, but not really. Yeah. Tell us, like, what does it kind of measure? So it pretty much measures everything. Mm. Everything under the sun now. <laughs> yeah, about the human. I mean, I think mm. there might be something like 56 different combinations, which is slightly more than the MBTI, which comes up with only 16, mm. right? But it's Enya is Greek for nine. And so there are nine basic personalities. There are also wings which are located next to one another and it's drawn on a circle with numbers around the circle so the numbers are right next to one another and they're numbered but different systems give them names also they're numbered partly to avoid any sort of preference or distinction like there's no judgment Hmm. you're a one or a two or a three or four etc you don't have to like aspire for one type of personality Yeah, exactly. That's been really insightful for me lately. And I use it with clients, but of course, I've also used it kind of on myself and professionally. And really using that both on myself and professionally has been, I think, probably the strongest thing that's really inspired taking a look at an honest look at my weaknesses. And instead of just being embarrassed by them or struggling with them or kind of, you know, in some cases, actually being kind of ashamed of them. It really is working with this personality type and with all of my clients that has helped me really feel okay about, hey, my weaknesses are my weaknesses. And guess what? I have lots of strengths also. I ask my clients all the time from a strengths-based perspective to take what they're already using and what works for them and apply it in a way that addresses their weaknesses. So why would I not do that with myself? (laughs) Yeah, it seems like common sense, but like, but we don't think about it in that way. I I love that approach. So give me like, and not at all to mean to put you on the spot or anything, but like, what's an example of 
whether it's the Enneagram or the DISC profile or the MBTI, like what's an example of like a readout, you know, like what's an example of like a strength or what's an example of a weakness that might come up on these? Yeah, well, okay. So for me, kind of looking at where I fall on the Enneagram, I will say that a thing that comes up for me a lot or can for other fours, I'm a four with a five wing. If anybody knows what the Enneagram, you might know what that means. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. You spoke Greek. To I know. <laughs> exactly. But some of the stuff that can come up for me that kind of gets me stuck a little bit is being an individualist, being independent. And, you know, that is both a strength and a weakness, right? Mm. It can put me in a place where I'm able to be really creative and innovative and develop things and kind of do nifty things. And I have done some of that. It puts me in a place where I'm really comfortable researching and experimenting and developing things. But the flip side is that it also, if I get too stuck in that, it can make me a little bit stubborn about collaboration or can make me kind of shy about collaboration. And it can also make me kind of shy about exposure. Like, I'm very comfortable <clears throat> developing my thing, but actually putting it out in front of other people makes me all kinds of nervous. <laughs> well, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, like, a lot of private practitioners, a lot of, like, business owners, I feel like we tend to have, we tend to be very independent, right? Right. And... I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel like for me, definitely, sometimes my independence underneath that, there's sort of this control element, right? That I'm, it's almost like the narrative in my head is I'm the only one that could do this as well as, you know, nobody else can do it as well, right? And <laughs> so, you actually think that, Melvin? I don't know. It just, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That might sound a little familiar. Yeah, I definitely struggle with it. And I think one of the hardest things, like with STC, I think one of the hardest and but one of the most gratifying steps has been when I started outsourcing different stuff. Yeah. Because I just realized, like, it was stressing me out and making me overwhelmed. So how do you kind of work as a clinician, right? How do you sort of address that? Like, if you see yourself as being an independent type? But it brings up that sense of really what might be underneath is that sense of wanting control. Yeah, and I think, you know, you've talked about this recently, Melvin, which is part of why I was inspired to connect with you about this topic. And I think this is something that I faced in myself a long time ago and did some deliberate experimentation. I'm thinking like 10 years ago, that perfectionism piece, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, partly it's control, but the perfection, you know, like uncovering what's under that, you know, like just digging deeper. And this is really all about, oh, my gosh, I'm scared of being judged. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of people have that fear, but really being able to identify what it is specifically, what those underlying beliefs are. And if there's a need for control, what's the underlying belief for that? I mean, those thoughts can come to us like, I'm the only one who can really do this well, hmm. right? Or I need to control this because otherwise it will get out of control. But, you know, just like I do, and we probably all do, 
with our clients, we are actually looking for what is the background stuff that's going on. You know, we can change behavior and we can alter thoughts and that will have an effect on our feelings, right? And probably our actions, you know, that that dynamic of actions, thoughts, and feelings. That's really the heart of psychology, right? Mm. But when when we are making dynamic changes with our clients, we're actually looking for those underlying things, right? right? So, I mean, what's my belief about I'm the only one who can do this? What it's really about is that I am so scared that I'm going to honestly... I'm going to look stupid. I mean, that's a big one for me. I know that's not necessarily the one for every single other person, which is why I'm talking about using our own strengths as therapists to really overcome our weaknesses as we're developing our businesses. Well, I mean, I was thinking like you're saying a couple of different things. One is, I think, just an intentional awareness of what is going on for us as we are on this small business journey. Right. Right. And then I think the other thing that you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that things like these, the DISC profile or MBTI or the Enneagram, they give us a glimpse of kind of our personality traits, right? But it's Mm -hmm. also important to take those and then figure out what they really mean underneath, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. That's probably why I like why the Enneagram has been so useful for me because they've already done a lot of that research. Mm-hmm. And so there are different wings that are next to you on the circle because you probably have tendencies or traits that are strengths in that area. And then you have instinctual variance, which is your approach to interacting with people. And that can be social, one-on-one, or self-preservation. And then there are nine levels of health that they've delineated And most of us operate some, most of the time in the average zone. But what I love is that they've done research on how each personality type kind of spirals into unhealth and what's common among them. And also how the different personalities can wind upward into like the higher functioning parts of each personality. And the whole thing is really based on a holistic approach. And that's that's partly why I love it so much because that really is my approach with clients to therapy. And also, you know, like I discovered in grad school that I'm kind of a, I'm like, who knew? You get words for these things when you realize um, they've been labeled, right? And talked about and explored. But I'm a, a natural existentialist and a person centered therapist. And I like to do mindfulness things. But really, at the heart of all of that, those are just names for the, th- the, the thing that I think most of us really are doing, which is trying to draw into balance all of those things like body, mind, and heart. And I know that a lot of, you know, a lot of psychology right now is doing the mind-body connection a lot with the mindfulness. And I love this full perspective of drawing the heart into it. Yeah, I love the the holistic perspective you're approaching because I think we have to both know our weaknesses and our strengths in order to really like make sense out of things. Right. And I think part of the other thing too is like being okay with the weaknesses. Mm. Right? Just 
that was probably the biggest first hurdle. It's really hard to take an honest look at yourself when there's something really threatening about your weaknesses. Right. So I'm almost thinking like for all of us as business owners, we have areas of strength and areas of weakness. I think it's Agnes. She said this, like the more we ostrich, right, and don't address our weaknesses or just ignore Mm -hmm. them, it doesn't make them go away, right? And likely they manifest in all sorts of different ways. And I think what you're saying is something like an assessment and an honest can give a complete picture of who we are as people. Right. And, you know, getting to the place where it's okay to accept all of the parts of us and the way it works together is the first step to getting some success with things that are our weaknesses, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. What are, I guess at a practical level, what are like one or one to two things that you felt like you did to start to accept your weaknesses? I think, you know, probably 10 years ago when I started looking at that perfectionism thing, I honestly, deliberately started questioning the things that I was believing. Like, I must do my best at all times. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's so much pressure, right? Or it's not okay to make mistakes. Or I have to do this myself or it won't get done, right? You know, here's a really good one. This one actually is at the heart of one of my biggest difficult struggles, I should say. And one of the things that has come up this summer, being consistent and getting into routine will mean that my life is boring. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Or if I do the same thing every day, I will not have space for creativity. So kind of being able to honestly unpack what those individual things really are that we're believing uh, puts us in a position where we can actually go, really? Is that right? I Do I really believe that? I don't think I believe that. And then the other part of it for me is that, you know, I have this strength or this kind of insatiable need to research, experiment, try things out, which works well for me in this particular challenge because then I can go, huh, well, I'm going to test that out and see if it's actually true. If I do the same thing every day, if I start my day the same For instance, does that really mean that I don't have time for creativity or is that really boring? Is it truly boring? Let me check that out. And guess what? I did that. (laughs) Shockingly enough, right? I spent the last six weeks doing the same thing almost every morning. And what did you find? Oh my gosh. I found out that it actually makes my day more productive. I have less stress I am able to be more creative. I am not spending time on things that are urgent. I'm spending time on things that are important, not just the pressing thing that comes up. So overall, yep, I do not believe anymore that being um, consistent or doing a routine inhibits my creativity whatsoever. In fact, it's left more time for it. I mean, you probably knew that was going to be the result of the experiment, right? And I was hoping that it would be, but I needed to do it and live through it and experience it and try it out in order to have what I thought was solid evidence to the contrary. 
That's neat. So episode 92 of the podcast is all about my morning routine and how it's improved my productivity. Like I'm a yeah. routine junkie. I remember you know? that. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of, and this is something I struggled with is if I keep doing the same thing over and over in the morning, right, is that going to make me less creative and less productive? But what I've actually found is offering that, having that space and having that intention to do something over and over, like it actually makes me more productive and more creative and, and then ultimately mm-hmm. gives me more time, more balance because I'm just more, you know, it's like concentrated amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say are the three biggest things that, speaking of productivity, what would you say are the three biggest things that you have done that has improved your productivity as a private practitioner? So I would say, first of all, the morning routine, actually doing that. And what that consists of for me is getting up and drinking water right away instead of coffee, like stumbling out of bed, groggy eyed and grabbing my coffee, (laughs) which is what I used to do. I'm drinking a big glass of water and then actually doing 20 to 30 minutes of yoga, which I really love. It's both mindful for me and um, also physical, right? And I have had an IT band issue and needed to do something regular with that. So that has been very helpful. Part of that routine is like moving through Shavasana, if anybody else does yoga, and doing sun salutation. But part of it is also um, yin, like stretching out my back and hips. I cannot tell you what a huge difference that makes for me throughout the rest of the day. Um, And, you know, for therapy, we sit a lot. Mm. So that's been awesome. So what do you notice just doing that in the morning when you're sitting there with a client what happens to your mind now as opposed to you know what as opposed to what used to happen yeah i think i'm much sharper for one thing and i you know when i'm with clients i'm mindful too of the fact that i am an essential being who has a body i think thoughts i have feelings i kind of i try to emphasize this with clients too and i've applied it to myself like i have those things they're part of me they're not me My body is not me. Um, My thoughts are not me, and I don't have to believe all of them. My feelings are feelings. They're not me. So I'm not completely attached to all of those things as identity. And getting started like that really um, puts me in a frame of balance to do that work, to start my day more whole, and then to be able to invite my clients into that. Yeah, you know, I think for us as clinicians, something like this is so important because so much of how we are feeling physically and mentally shapes the work that we do. Right. So I wanted to look at the other side of that, which is like looking back and thinking about everything. What's like one big thing that you were doing in the past that was a complete inefficient use of your time? I would say like doing my own book work. I pretty much hate it. (laughs) which is kind of interesting. I like doing my own taxes Mm. and I like making like budget plans or projecting or, you know, kind of um, fooling around with numbers and money and whatever. But I don't really like doing the consistent work of entering my expenses and payments from clients and all of that good stuff and making sure that my records are up to date in my computer system. 
and I, I'm okay with hating it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that I was like, I must do this myself or it won't get done right. Well, um, actually, other people are a lot better at this than I am. It doesn't take them as long. I can extend trust to someone else and let them do it. Um, yeah, you know, it's just a... Well, I was just thinking, like, as you were saying that, like, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from several people, but is this important, or is the ability to figure out which tasks that you need to automate, which tasks that you need to delegate to other people because they do it better than you do, and right. which tasks you need to batch, meaning that you just need to kind of do it in a, in a crunch, in a, a set period of time. Yeah. Beth, thank you so much for doing this. Please tell us how we can get in touch with you and please tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Yeah, so you can get in touch with me at BethLawandi.com. My podcast is Midlife Love Bites and that is um, that web address also. Um, it links right to my professional page and the podcast page. Sorry. <laughs> I'm loving that podcast. Very fun. Dealing with issues of dating, mating, and relating. So relationship and also kind of discovering again love in midlife. And this is really, it applies to people who are in relationship, in long-term marriages, and to singles who are looking again. It's been tons of fun. Basically, it's a relationship podcast, of course, but with that specific little niche yeah, such a, a cool and such a, a needed resource. Um, Beth, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Melvin. It's been great to talk to you. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Beth. It's so much fun doing these podcast episodes with friends, and uh, it just makes the conversations go a lot more quicker, but also it makes them a lot more fun. Beth mentioned a number of resources, and you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 95. We are quickly approaching 100 episodes, and I've got something special lined up for episode 100. If you are not on the Selling the Couch newsletter, feel free to sign up because I'm going to do something special with those on the email list for episode 100. You can do that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash tax, T-A-X. Thank you again for taking the time to join me for today's session. And again, I hope more than anything that our conversation encourages you as a business owner to think about what your strengths are and whether you're working in your strengths as opposed to focusing so much on your weakness, which I believe that this has been really hard for me actually to realize that I'm not good at everything, right? And that at some point I have to realize that at some point, yeah, I could probably learn how to code or, or create websites, which I love doing, but it's probably a lot smarter to figure out what I'm good at and then outsource or delegate the rest of those tasks. That way I'm focusing on the things that I'm really good at while also avoiding burnout. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you again for taking the time to join me. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.